0: this is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast In The Now, episode number 82. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites, the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel today is a switch up. It consists of Austin Bridges and two dear and close friends, Aaron Merritt and Jana Amselman, and myself, of course, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you'd like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Uh, Austin, Chan, and Aaron, are you with us? Yes, I am. They're and here. so am I. Fantastic. Well, our first question comes from a seeker who actually interviewed Carla some years back, so we can give his full name. His name is Ben Lusick, and Ben writes A comment you made in episode number 79 of the podcast got me thinking. You were reflecting on why there was generally little disagreement in each other's responses and mentioned that, quote, living in harmony together was a component. You said that it was like you three possibly had the humble beginnings of a budding mini social memory complex. This gave me an aha moment, and I realized why for most of my life I've been compelled to bring people together. For about 10 years, I've been lightly exploring the possibility of creating online social tools for the purpose of accelerating and aiding people's spiritual seeking. I'm now wondering if this repeating... If rather, if this repeating pattern of thought has to do with trying to help spark other mini social memory complexes, I get the sense that physical proximity may be fundamental, at least at some point, but maybe there are online connections that can be used to help things coalesce. So that was Ben's preface, and he asked us a series of really um, great questions that will allow us to explore exactly what a social memory complex is. And the first one is, what are the fundamental characteristics or aspects of a social memory complex? Um, Austin, do you want to take the lead on that one?
1: Sure. Um, I'll give a short answer because I am eager to hear from our special guests So, uh, the fundamental aspects, I think, uh, according to Ra, one of the primary fundamental aspects is that um, uh, the group memory that is lost in third density to uh, the roots of the tree of the mind, or the unconscious, um, so it is present, we are just not able to see it, becomes known to the entire society. And so... It's really that group memory that I think is the primary aspect of the social memory complex it raw talks about how the experiences and um, memories and even in a telepathic sense the thoughts and desires of the entire whole are known to each individual. There's like a repository of everybody's sort of being within a central mind that is then accessible to the entire social memory complex. <clears throat> um that's pretty much like the extent of like the very hard line aspect that Ra gave, so I'll pass it to uh Jenna or Aaron, or pass it back to you, Gary, and let you pass it,
0: oh, thanks so much Austin. um How about any, me Miny Aaron? What do you have? Yeah, <clears throat> I think one thing that um uh
2: stuck out to me i was I was doing a little reviewing of some of the quotes that Ra gives about the social memory complex and in um, in eleven seventeen um, from prompted from a question that Don asked about at what stage does a planet achieve a social memory complex? Um, there the crux of the answer is um, when its entire group of entities are of one orientation or seeking. And so this this notion that intention coalesces that the the, the the moment at which the memory becomes shared, the you know, the group memory becomes um somehow, you know, becomes online for the for the collective, um, being triggered by this um cohering of intention or of desire of seeking. And that was really that was really actually profound for me, um, to just reconnect with the significance of our of our intention and paying attention to our intention, and then starting to um imagine what it means to feel into intention at the group level. It's a really interesting question.
0: Thank you so much, Aaron. Jana, how about you?
3: Yeah, I think um, Austin and Aaron pretty much covered the, you know, the the broad strokes of it. And um, I was just noticing when I feel into it, that a big piece of it that comes up for me is, Uh, a sense of shared purpose. And so I don't think those are words that Ross uses specifically, but um, that's, you know, feels like an important piece of it to me.
0: What Aaron, what you said regarding the um, unified intention recalled to my mind, 1323, where Ross says, Ross talking about our present experience and they say, The thought forms of your people during this transition period are such that the mind-body-spirit complexes of both individual and societies are scattered throughout the spectrum instead of becoming able to grasp the needle, shall we say, and point the compass in one direction. So it seems like that is a key requisite of the social memory complex to have, um, like you were describing, the one-pointed unified intention Um, I want to say thank you, Jana and Aaron for joining us to listeners who are not familiar with these two entities, we'll introduce them a little bit more, Um, a couple questions down the road. And I wanted to add a couple other fundamental characteristics of what I understand the social memory complex to be per Ra, of course, and another is um, total transparency. It seems that is one of the defining characteristics. Of the social memory complex because without the veil there is just an, a radical level of um openness and honesty and lack of pretense it's like an automatic authenticity nothing is hidden everything um as you guys were saying everything is known even the thoughts of the individual and their their fears and their desires everything is public i don't know that there is the possibility of having a private experience per se in a social memory complex. And a couple other key characteristics I wanted to touch on briefly include uh, a level of radical inclusivity where belonging and intimacy are also automatic and sexuality is healed and restored to a very radically liberated States. And um, in terms of power, also, uh, in a positive social memory complex, Ra indicates that um, power is shared. And this contrasts against the negative social memory complex where power is pitted against other power in a strict pecking order that causes what Ra calls spiritual entropy and disintegration. So, um, do you guys have any further thoughts to add about what constitutes a social memory complex? Um,
2: well, um, sorry. Go ahead, Erin. I was just going to, going to um, kind of make, it's, it's more of a question than a, I don't have a clear answer on it, but um, it is interesting to me how raw, um, the, the contrast between the two terms, the social memory complex and the social complex. Um, and it seems like there's this, um, you know, one another way of saying sort of a burgeoning mini social complex is a social complex, right? Where there is um, there is the sort of initial stages of the way that I understand a social complex <clears throat> is that there's something providing coherence among a gro- group of people over you know over some duration of time that forms a unit of consciousness that um, you know may be temporary. Doesn't have the same. I don't think it has the same durability necessary necessarily than a social memory complex but um it does seem like they um you know they point to this this group entity that is the social complex that transcends that the mind body spirit complex but isn't quite yet a social memory complex and I thought that was interesting and that's certainly given me a lot of um kind of um food for thought in terms of just reflecting on Um, You know, when I'm with a group of people, whether it's my family, whether it's a group of friends, whether it's a study group, whether it's, you know, a group of coworkers, whatever it is, um, that there is, it's really, it feels really generative to me to imagine that there is there in that, in that configuration, some form of, of entity that transcends myself, some sort of group self that's there. And that's a really interesting thing to reflect on.
1: Yeah, I really like that angle. Uh, the way i 've always interpreted the like difference between social complex and social memory complex is that the social complex is sort of just the veiled social memory complex um, there 's a lot of times in the material where raw actually refers to earth and our society as a social memory complex but then at another point, they talk about how a social they also refer to us as social complex and then At another point, they talk about how the social complex becomes a social memory complex uh, when you were, uh, like what you were saying, when they become one in their seeking, basically. So um, the sense that I get is that our social memory complex really actually exists right now. It's just that we can't tap into it. And that creates a lot of confusion and disorientation in our social memory complex. But once the veil is lifted and we're, we have access to the unconscious mind, the roots of the mind, then um, that cohesion comes into place because we can see it more clearly.
0: Yeah, the, the structure of the mind described by Ra includes moves downward into the unconscious, beginning with the individual unconscious and then moving into the racial unconscious and then the planetary unconscious, which may or may not be the same thing depending on the population. Then the archetypical mind, which is a mind shared by every entity resident to a particular solar system. So yet, like you're saying, all those layers of mind are there. They're, they are just um, hidden and seemingly separated from us by a veil. And it seems what makes a social memory memory complex possible is either the removal of the veil, which happens in fourth density, or the thinning of the veil, which happens at the end of third density. And actually Ra, I don't remember if this was, no, this wasn't the one Aaron was speaking to. Ra says about social memory complexes in 38.6, that it is possible only in the latter or seventh portion of third density, when entities are harmoniously readying for graduation, that a social memory complex can form in third density. Uh, They go on to say, though, that while that's not unheard of, it's quite rare. They say, quote, the social memory complex is properly a fourth density phenomenon, which hinges on the veil no longer being present. And another aspect that stands out to me, too, before checking back with you guys and moving on to the next question, is that in a positive social memory complex, everybody loves you <laughs> and you love everybody. There's um, Everybody is literally your friend or your loved one or your intimate, dear other self. There are no uh, enemies or nobody working against you, which is diametrically opposite to the negative social memory complex whereby you have no friends literally and everybody you know is seeking to manipulate exploit or enslave you for their own benefit so it does sound quite like a hell world
1: (laughs) I think
2: don't they say that doesn't Ross say that there is you know at the level of the social memory complex there is no or maybe it's just fourth density that there's no possibility of disharmony at the at the level, once the veil is removed, um, and all is known, all is apparent in the shared mind, that um, that there's no disharmony. But maybe that's just in the unveiled condition and not necessarily in the social memory complex.
0: Unveiled condition.
2: Post veil. Do you, do you, does anyone remember that quote? I'm talking the 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 point they talk about that there's no possibility of disharmony.
1: Yeah, we're talking about how all the things that fourth density can be and what it isn't. And they say there's no possibility of disharmony in fourth density, which I think is pretty much the same thing as saying there's no possibility of disharmony within a social memory complex, too. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: Which is an interesting thing to consider and is a big question, I guess, in what Gary just said in a negative social memory complex. Um, What is considered disharmony? It uh, seems like there might be a constant shifting of power. <clears throat> or actually, Rod does say that like a lot of that shifting of power happens at the beginning of fourth density, and once everybody feels comfortable in their position, then they're able to actually work together. But then there's still entropy that happens subsequent to that. So, wonder what the difference between that entropy and disharmony really is.
0: Yeah, they say it is not within limits of possibility to cause disharmony in any way in the the positive experience. And as, as to the negative experience, they do say elsewhere that they turn rather negative entities turn harmony into, and I think the exact words are, an eternal disharmony. I mean, it sounds like a a permanent background state or a permanent um, embodied state to be non-harmonious with those you interact with. (laughs) Janet, did you have any thoughts before we move on to the next one?
3: No, I'm ready to move on. Thank you.
0: All right well we have explored some of what constitutes a social memory complex so um ben asked a really good question that had hadn't really occurred to me Uh, ben asked why is a social memory complex worth pursuing to further our aims of service to others and given from what i understand from the universe as ra describes it Fourth, or rather, social memory complexes are inevitable. It seems, so far as I'm aware, that every fourth density social being forms a social memory complex, so there must be some value and worth in pursuing it. Shanna, um, do you have any thoughts on why it might be worth pursuing?
3: Um, I mean, I think, you know, the results of, what a social memory complex is are worth pursuing. Um, It sounds neat to pursue this amazing thing that Ra describes, but um, you know, that level of transparency that you were describing earlier um, made me think of the quote that Ra um, talks about in 57 or 50.7. And at the end of it, he says, or they say, this game can only be won by those who lose their cards in the melting influence of love can only be won by those who lay their pleasures their limitations their all upon the table face up and say inwardly all all of you players each other self whatever your hand i love you this is the game to know to accept to forgive to balance and to open the self in love so you know to me that feels like <clears throat> i mean that's that's my goal like that's what i'm after um, is working towards that level of transparency and that level of love um, with the people, you know, first with myself, then with my family, then with my community, and um, outward from there, um, as much as I can do in this lifetime. So that's that's kind of what came to mind when, uh, when you asked that
0: question. So you say transparency is is itself one of the chief virtues of what makes striving for a social memory complex worthwhile.
3: I think so. Mm -hmm.
0: Awesome. Uh, Aaron, what do you think?
2: Um, Yeah. Something that comes to mind about the value of striving for social memory complex is that once we come into a relationship with creator, with the infinite creator and begin to conceive of that everything is self, everything is the creator and that we are connected, we are a part of the creator, then, you know, sort of in steps from what, you know, from in our life, from where we're starting, we can begin to include more and more of the, you know, the portions of creator that are the other selves that we interact with, um, you know, as, you know, we can begin to conceptualize those as portions of ourself. And, you know, that, that, um that exercise, that effort to sort of like stretch beyond our normative sense of identity, you know, kind of singular identity as this person, as Aaron, and, um, you know, at least at least start to reach beyond that into a more, you know, universal sense of self and begin to include through our care, through our service, through our, um, you know, meditation, through our uh, interaction, hopefully in our home, our, our intentions for our harmonious interaction, we can begin to include our conception of what we are to um, to be, you know, beyond the, our our sense of individualized self. And so the sort of striving, um, it just feels to me like it's the it's the sort of first step um, in beginning the, the you know or, or continuing the journey to to meet the creator to know the creator um by you know sort of stretching our our boundaries of identity beyond what we're comfortable what we're currently comfortable with and beginning to try to understand what am i if i include myself uh or my include my sense of self as you know those who i love those who are you know people the people around me the people i interact with and that feels there's something about that that feels um you know it feels like it it can really stimulate the spiritual journey and really um support um the expansion of consciousness, the, span- the expansion of identity to include larger and larger portions of the
0: creation. Well said to both of you. And as uh, Janet was indicating, the, the transparency would be key to what you're describing, Aaron, the, the fulfillment of knowing the self as creator, knowing the other self as creator. Um, Austin, how about you?
1: Um. Yeah, I agree with you. Those were both excellent answers. And I'm getting a theme in what I am viewing as the benefits in that these are sort of things that are natural upon our path anyways, or these are things that will be necessary for us to sort of grasp in order to graduate from third density to begin with. It seems like the formation of the social memory complex as you were saying, Gary, is like this inevitable thing. But I think it's inevitable because uh, we spend all of our third density in a social relationship. That's sort of what third density is about, is understanding uh, society and interacting with other selves. And through that interaction, grasping the glimmers of love that we're able to understand in third density. And I think that That includes things like the transparency and um, the opening to other self and uh, allowing other self to open to you without judgment. And um, I feel like the benefits of trying to form a social memory complex are simply the same as that of traveling the spiritual journey. I think they're kind of um, one in the same. Uh, According to Ra, uh, there's an interesting quote where they say the advantages of this complex being a social memory complex uh, are the relative lack of distortion in understanding the social beingness and the relative lack of distortion in pursuing the direction of seeking for all understanding slash distortions are available to the entities of the society. And I really like both of those things, but especially understanding the social beingness. They have a lack of distortion in understanding sort of your social self, where you stand amongst a social group, even if that social group is the entire planet, uh, your role, your what you have to offer, uh, where you might need support, and in forming a social memory complex, I think that you seek those things and you help others seek those things and seek uh, their own social beingness and find comfort with their own social beingness. And I think a social memory complex is essentially when everybody finds their social beingness and their true heart of self and what they have to offer as service and also being comfortable accepting service and there's sort of a natural cohesion that comes from every individual acting in this social beingness their uh true social beingness it's that comes from the heart Ooh, that is really good
0: yeah it's um it's the idea that was coming to me, listening to you, was like there's this, this orchestration, so to speak, that happens at the level of the social identity that gears everybody together into this amalgamated or or synthesized whole, whereby everybody has a part to play, like a note in a melody, um, where everybody, like Charles Eisenstein describes. You know, We all have something we want to give, some ways that we, we want to serve and radiate and offer ourselves to the whole. And each one of us has a gift that's integral to the whole. So instead of being this fragmented, disjointed, disharmonious experience that we know in third density, in fourth density, everybody is, is um, in proportional relationship to everybody else in a really beautiful way. <clears throat> Um, my my uh, considerations going into this podcast regarding this question were less of essence, as you three have gotten into. Were more of like um, I don't want to say shallow or surface, but more on a, like a practical level of what the or why a social memory complex may be of value, and that's that, like look in our experience at just what one person can accomplish, whether uh, it's an artist or a mathematician or a philosopher, and then look at what a group of artists or scientists or even a, a corporation or an organization or branch of the military can accomplish on this planet. And then imagine an entire planet, a whole world uh, acting as one, like what they could accomplish when all that genius and, and just when all that energy and uh, individual giftingness is, is brought together, it just like beggars our own third, little third density brains. And then um, there are other, some really interesting ways uh, to, to try to see into what the value of a social memory complex may be by seeing what would be dropped from our present third density experience. Starting with, like, the social memory complex wouldn't need police because Ra said of the fourth density positive experience individual differences are pronounced, although automatically harmonized by group consensus. So, in that automatic harmonization, there's no need to enforce rules, especially through punitive actions. And while there may be administrative bodies performing particular administrative functions I mean Rod does indicate that there's a council of Saturn who kind of governs our local quadrant of the galaxy Um, that there wouldn't be need for government as we know it or courts to work out disputes between us or maybe even like tangible or or like a physical media to store our information whether it's uh, hard drives or servers or Uh, mp3s or cds or books or whatever because the media would be consciousness itself like uh you guys were describing earlier the the memory becomes social and um i I think it would be hardly recognizable to us really suffering itself would be almost eliminated ra does indicate that there are some um minimal levels of suffering Uh, it's kind of i think it's John Lennon, actually, was might have been tuning into something when he was writing Imagine. So do you three see or have any other thoughts that you wanted to offer regarding the why work towards a social memory complex?
1: Well, if nobody else does, I wanted to build off of a thought that you were just sharing about um, like the lack of necessity for government and things like that. I've always sort of imagined that as a social memory complex forms on Earth, things like the government turn lefts from administrative or um, bureaucratic and become more of a facilitating body, Mm. to where there isn't sort of this enforcement of a system but instead they provide the ability for people to find out where they need to be and how to express themselves within the social memory complex. And they serve the purpose of connecting individuals and um, gathering groups that are uh, naturally wanting to be in that group, but don't have the means to necessarily find it to be in a group to accomplish something or things like that. So I imagine a, government in fourth density is much more um, wanting to help people do things instead of uh, collect taxes and build a military. Yeah, it'd be like a coordinating function.
0: and, And they would, instead of like present operations of government tend to disempower populations, Um, through limitation and removal of power whereas this sort of quote-unquote government if it can even be called that uh, would be always seeking to empower um, the residents of the social memory complex it's interesting to think that there would be a coordinating body necessary when there's All this data is in the mass mind, but I guess just like our own internet and social media there needs to be Function there needs to be like some functionary who Assesses that data makes use of it applies it so on and so forth. I don't know. Maybe that has some relevance
1: Yeah, i'd imagine that um, As you move further into fourth density, maybe even that would just really exist in the beginning of fourth density where there is a body that does this. And then uh, I imagine once a social memory complex is really cohesive, there's no need for that, that an individual and groups just know exactly where to be, when to be there, and what to do and if as long as they're following that impulse then um there will be no need to like have another organizing body besides just the social complex memory itself that is feeding those impulses
0: yeah i think that's what uh, we have a friend named jeremy and um he's been on the podcast before actually and he uh, has had has been I don't know if he still considers himself but a, a, an avowed uh, anarchist but he's always tilted that towards a spiritual vision and I think that's what he means is uh, a sort of anarchy quote unquote uh, where it is um, there's a self-organizing that happens without the need for a higher body per se I don't know I don't want to put words in his mouth so uh or Aaron or Austin you got any more on this question um, well, there was just
2: one, one little thing about um, that sparked for me um, just in terms of, um, you know, the data that's available once the veil is lifted. Right. And the and we're, you know, <clears throat> sort of there's, there is this transparency and everything that's available. My sense is that um, we won't be able to necessarily at the beginning, make use of that data as well as we will towards the end of fourth density. I think it's, I mean, I imagine it would be an enormous (laughs) amount amount of information to behold when, you know, the veil is lifted and all is known. Like all, you know, all this sort of, you just sort of see clearly into the reality and just sort of see the beingness that is, um, that interconnects all things somehow. And um, with that level of information available, I think that my sense is that um, there's sort of a quickening of the faculties of mind over the course of fourth density to be able to make use, you know, more and more skillfully of that condition of, you know, being, you know, beyond the veil. Um, And so, yeah, and I can really, so, so in that context with that idea, I can really imagine that at least in the beginning of fourth density, um, you know, there might, we might need to sort of cooperate in, and, you know, still form these sort of institutions or organizational forms to help us make good use of all that, of all that information.
0: That makes perfect sense because uh, a unit of consciousness, such as a mind body spirit complex is still has functional limitations. You know, there's not, um, you indicate Aaron that you suspect that there may be a quickening of the mental faculties. And I, uh, that seems extraordinarily likely, but, um, Before and after that quickening, there's still, um, what do I, I want to say limitations. Um, You know, there's not omniscience. One cannot contain, the single individual cannot necessarily contain the whole. They may have access to the whole, much like one can walk into a library. But um, to uh, expect that all those books are then going to be inside one's head (laughs) um, may be a little bit mismatched. But it's and that, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: When I would say that's, an, you know, that's another um, that's another possible way that you know that pursuing the you know social memory complex or the work of moving towards social memory complex just this way that we can
3: <clears throat>
2: become more and more comfortable with a broader and broader like like how does how would one quicken one's mental faculties, <laughs> um, how would one exercises one, one's mental faculties? I don't know if any of you are familiar with the ring, ringing cedars. Um, series of books um, mm-hmm. about about um, this this contact between a Russian um, entrepreneur and this uh, sort of mystical woman who le- lives deep in the um, the forests of uh, northern Russia, and she seems to ha- be some be a part of some um, um, I don't know if it would be a fourth density um, group on Earth, but she. Um, has certainly has a vastly um accelerated faculties and capacities um, you know she's able to um, communicate across distances anyway uh she her one of her one of her um, suggestions to humanity is to um practice you know quickening our thoughts like which i think at first um you know, it, it doesn't mean, like, I think our thoughts, the thoughts that sort of, you know, the random thoughts that move through our mind, the screen of our mind, um, I don't think it means, like, speed that up, like, turn up the, the speed dial on that. I think <laughs> <Please> it means <know. laughs> be able to be with the information that comes to us in our, you know, daily round of activities with more and more evenness and more and more acceptance. I think there's this way that quickening one's thoughts means, like, being more comfortable with, um you know being in the mind being in the the mental experience one has and um and not trying to I'm, i don't know if I'm not trying to control it is the right way of saying it but i don't quite have a firm grasp on it but I, something really compelled me when i when i heard that that advice that this woman anastasia gave of like you know quicken one's thoughts and it feels somehow it feels connected to what we're talking about of like you know how can we practice um kind of plugging ourselves into the information available of the creation of the universe in a way that, you know, we're, we're able to be a more co creative kind of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, relationship to it. I don't know if that made any sense.
0: <laughs> it did. And I have something to say, but I don't want to, I've been yapping a lot and want to give.
1: I also have a response, but I wanted to also give Janet a chance <laughs> yeah. to chime in if she wanted to. <laughs>
3: um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you.
1: You want to go Austin? Yeah. Um, that's a really cool idea about, um, and we're kind of getting into the next part of the question, aren't we? Like uh, quickening thoughts and the idea of quickening thoughts and that being sort of this facilitator for the social memory complex. What I sort of see in that is one, a basic mindfulness practice, which I harp on a lot on this podcast, but I think mindfulness is really a key component to our spiritual journey in third density and becoming aware of our thoughts and becoming aware of the origin of our thoughts because I think we have a lot of thoughts that are um, like on a very surface level, just sort of junk that has accumulated that falls away pretty easily. Then a lot of social distortions, a lot of personal distortions. And I think once we're able to become mindful of, Uh, where our thoughts are coming from and what they are and how they're influencing us and distill those more and more, we start getting into those thoughts that might originate more from the social memory complex itself and get deeper into the unconscious roots of the mind that um, then as we really become mindful of those types of thoughts that come from the deepest portion of our being and the deepest portion of our shared being, and acting on those that's i think how the social memory complex forms
0: yeah and i'm like in contemplating what aaron said i'm thinking about the transition between the the second density on this planet ape form the the um the primate form to the human being that would be recognizable today. And as that threshold was crossed, there was an increase in capacities, an increase for abstract thought to think about the future and the past um, and to reflect on individual uh, selfhood in ways that weren't possible due to the limitations of second density. Those limitations, including both on the biological level, the brain size and the nervous system and other physiological things that I'm not aware of, Uh, but also due to the uh, speed or rotation of the photon, the quantum level of vibration, which is way outside my pay grade. But um, third density... kicks that up a quantum level. And thus the third density being has powers and capacities that the second density did not. So likewise in fourth density, the same evolutionary trajectory will happen, will be jumped up a quantum notch and um, our mental processing ability will increase. And an aspect of that mental processing has to be what uh, Aaron's describing and what you were expounding on Austin, this, ability to be with uh, one's thoughts and the sensory or other data, sensory information or other data that is greeting one in the moment. And I would make a line of connection between this notion of being with and mindfulness to love itself, because in fourth density, uh, per my understanding of uh, what Ross says, uh, love is essentially visible. It is the ex- the lived experience of each moment. And love can, love by its nature, can um, greet and receive and, and embrace all things and love all things. So I see that love when applied to the mind complex as not um, being afraid of thoughts or judging thoughts or rejecting thoughts, but being able to be with and that alone like would seem to enlarge in the container of mind and the processing power of mind <clears throat> and support the romantics that the heart is better or greater than the mind but so um before we dig into some Questions of uh, living that here and now in application. Did uh, anybody have anything more to offer?
1: Not I.
3: Nope.
0: Nope. All right, then. Now we'll get into who who these two lovely people of Janet and Aaron are. Um, So Ben's next question tied into that, the one we were just exploring and uh, he wanted to know about the, pursuing a social memory complex specifically with the a focus of starting one here on earth now. And um, to build off Ben's question, and thank you, Ben, by the way, uh, there are myriad examples around the world of communities coming together to form relationships that embody the beginnings of a social memory complex right now that contain the embryos of the qualities that we've been discussing, including movements towards transparency and radical honesty and communal blending of intimacy and power sharing and so forth. And we in Louisville, um, Jim Austin and I, have come into contact with a group that's both geographically and spiritually close to us that we feel are engaged exactly in this work. And they are known as the Asheville Law of One Study Group. Uh, Aaron uh, you have seated rather you seated and have nurtured uh, this group in your own hometown of Asheville North Carolina and uh, this group is now co-facilitated by the beautiful Jana uh, with her skillful efforts so Aaron I would love to know your thoughts and then Jana's about how you all envision the work of your own community Uh, do you see yourselves as moving towards a social memory complex Uh, What are your objectives there and how are you seeking to manifest those objectives? Yeah, that's a very good question.
2: Well, I think one of the things I want to share about our study group that feels really, um, feels really relevant to the question. And it also feels like um, one of the core ingredients that has been, um, that has kind of created such a strong group we've got a we've, we've been studying for about a two and a half years a little over two and a half years and um yeah I would just say the vibes are high like the the experience that people report having uh, you know coming, you know coming we study once a week and coming together and um it's just there's just a lot of value there for the people who take part in that and I think one of the things that contributes to that is that we don't just study the law of one we um we begin and this was this is how it started in the very first session we begin by doing a round of check-ins and everyone takes a turn speaking their name into the circle and sharing a bit um about you know how they how they're doing um and the invitation has been um sort of explicitly um you know sh- sort of share you know some some um some reports from your path, from your life, from your spiritual journey, um, you know, including both the the highs and the lows. And, um, you know, we've practiced making a safe container um, to have those check-ins, to have that sharing take place in a way that everyone feels more and more able to open up and to, um, you know, to be really authentic and be real. And I think as we've done that week after week after week and really practiced hearing each other and you know, there is a sense of safety that we've cultivated. There's a sense of um, kind of knowing each other and um, building bonds that um, complements. You know, so so we start off our study session, our our sessions with that share circle, and then we you know, we do a meditation and then we move into the study. So the 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 blending of the you know the sharing with the intention of like let's let's practice you know in the sort of humble small way that we can becoming transparent by sharing as authentically and honestly as we can. Um, and then studying the law of one and then really, you know, kind of reaching into the, the the richness and the depth of the metaphysics that Ra teaches. There's something really magical about that combination. And, you know, the, the, the synergy of those two things have have I think been the core um, elements that have built the, you know, the sort of the, um, uh, the strength, the the sort of durability of the group, and uh, um, kind of represents the value of the people are experiencing in the group. So that's, I'll start with that.
0: That's a good start. Jenna, how about you?
3: Yeah, um, I definitely um, second everything that Erin said. And another thing that feels really important um, to me that we're doing uh, is Let's see. So Ra talks about um, in 8314 how um, there are inevitable consequences of codification of response, which doesn't recognize the uniqueness of each and every situation. And I think that's one of the things that we are working on is to recognize the uniqueness of each and every situation um, and find ways to embody responses um, that like you were saying earlier, don't require, you know, laws and police and, um, you know, the kind of government that we have in our 3D world now. Um, there's kind of an overlapping group with the study group, um, in our Asheville community that's working on this very thing. Um, so we're trying to get to the point where, and I don't know if I'm going to say this very well because it's I don't know that there's a lot of language for what it is that we're trying to do um but where more and more we live and interact with each other um using principles and um you know so like what we're using in what our culture uses in our 3d world now is a lot of rules and Uh, codification of response and hierarchies and you know written law and things like that um, that don't recognize the uniqueness of every situation Um, and so once we uh, it feels to me like the more that we practice vulnerability with each other and for me vulnerability um, means a combination of transparency and authenticity um, the more we you know, kind of experience that blending that Erin was talking about, and, um, and the more we have a shared purpose, the more we can kind of let go of these rules and start looking at maybe just using tools or practices or recognizing patterns in the way that we are with each other um, and hopefully getting to the point where we more just live by principles. So for instance, one of the principles, um, just to give an example that's really important to us, is that how we are with each other is more important than what we do with each other. Um, so bringing a lot of attention to, um, the culture, like that's equally, if not more important than what the work that we're here doing, like that is the work that we're here doing, um, is figuring out how to be with each other. So, um, a, one of the phrases that we use too is, um, We have a being and doing rhythm and so the way that shows up in the study group is um the way aaron mentioned you know we start with being with each other we hear each other we share with each other we're vulnerable with each other um we care for each other and then we move into the doing the the studying of the material so um yeah i feel like that um that piece that being how we are with each other um is, uh, yeah, that's a big part of my answer.
0: (laughs) I think that was extraordinarily well said. Thank you. Um, You described, the first time I heard, I love that phrase, being and doing rhythm. And the first time I ever heard that was from you, actually, uh, not long ago. And I love that you guys are living that. So, um, yeah, multiple questions. I Like, uh, Austin and I have <clears throat> were able to attend one of your uh, weekly study group, um, uh, I wanted to say meditation, one of your weekly study groups uh, last year, 2017, and we saw what you guys are describing, just a small window of it, of course, but we were really um, impressed by the way that you tend to the community. And tend to each other, and uh, like Jenna was saying, to be there for one another. I'd love to explore a little bit about what you mean by vulnerability. Uh, Jenna said she sees it as a combination of authenticity and transparency. Like, what role does being vulnerable uh, play in your circle, and how it does one, how it is one vulnerable? Whoever wants to take.
3: I'm happy to. Um, so, yeah, so just to expand on what I meant um, by my definition of vulnerability. Um, so like one can be authentic all of the time without necessarily being transparent. So in other words, everything you say might be true, um, but maybe you're just not revealing much of your truth. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. So for at least in my experience of it, the more of my authenticity that I reveal, the more that I make transparent, the more vulnerable it feels. So um, that's when I realized, oh, okay, for me, vulnerability um, is the combination of uh, a higher and higher level of transparency um, with my authenticity. So um, yeah, and then let's see. I totally lost my train of thought. Can you remind me the question?
0: Uh, The question was, um, that happens to the best of us, um, was how, regarding what the role of vulnerability is in your circle and how one is vulnerable. Uh, How how does one manifest vulnerability?
3: Thank you. Um, Well, how does one manifest it? Hmm. Um, you let yourself shake and you, (laughs) and you go for it. Um, Yeah, I suppose it's different for everybody, but that's, you know, sometimes my experience of it um, is just being willing uh, to kind of take that leap of faith. Um, And, you know, and the role that it plays, uh, at least one of the ways that I see it is it creates shared experience um, and understanding. So, you know, it's kind of like we take our masks off and, you know, we're willing to show what, we might individually consider to be our messy parts um you know that people don't tend to put on say Facebook and um (laughs) and then we see each other and we're like oh you have that thing too or you know it just it creates this um a tenderness and from in my experience you know like a shared understanding or a shared experience in this third density um environment that we're in and in doing that um it really seems to help support what i was talking about earlier um you know moving away from codified responses because the more we understand each other the more there's this kind of natural um rhythm that happens um for instance at our last study group um we had a discussion and ended up spinning off another weekly gathering. So we're ha- now having two weekly gatherings. Um, and there are I mean, there are a lot of decisions to be made in that kind of thing. Like, where is it going to be? What time is it going to be? What day of the week? You know, all these little things um, where, you know, in regular, um, you know, third in city society, maybe people would vote or whatever, but there was just a really, um, from my perspective, like a shared, sense of the room and a shared sense of the group. And it's a little uncanny to me how (laughs) seamlessly these things can happen um, when there is that shared sense. And I have a guess that the vulnerability um, that we share with each other is a very large contributing factor to that shared sense.
2: Yeah, I'd like to add a couple of things too if I could. Um I think um so like um when we ha- when we can find the courage to share something that might be edgy, that might feel a little bit tender, that might feel a little scary to share, um it's well, it, it's a practice. It's like you know, it's not something you just automatically find ease with or find, you know become become good at or whatever. It's like it's just you know sort of step by step, but something really magical happens um, when we do that together in the group, um, in our in our sharing circles or in other contexts when we're when we choose to be vulnerable. Where like all of a sudden you hear someone else sharing something in the, out of their vulnerability that speaks to your vulnerability. Like it's like there's this sort of like there's this strength that emerges. There's this power that emerges because we begin sharing each other's stories like we there's so much there's so much parallel to our spiritual journeys there's so much parallel Mm -hmm. to our emotional lives there's so much similarity to what we struggle with and what we grapple with as humans and you know a lot of that doesn't really get to get to be shared we tend to keep those things kind of close to the chest and inside and we don't necessarily often have the context to be able to share those things but when, but when we each effort and we each try and we make these little inroads into being able to get more and more courageous about what we share, then all of a sudden we're finding that we're speaking to the very thing. Like, you know, it happens to me all the time. Like someone will share something and I'll just like, I'll have so much resonance. And I'll just be like, I really understand what that person's going through. Cause it's exactly what I've been going through this past week. And it just kind of that, that those, those synchronicities of, and that sort of overlap of what gets shared through through the kind of shared practice of vulnerability continues to sort of build a field you know it builds a there's a there's something that you can sort of you know you can sort of feel at this point when we come together in the group that there's there's something there because we've been building it for you know the number of weeks we have that stays somehow and um yeah and i think that has that speaks to the practice it speaks to the fact that it's not some singular you know skill it's it's more of like a it's a continuum, and it just starts with the the willingness to lean in to the edges that we tend to keep hidden from each other um and of course the you know the set and the setting of that is very important and I think another thing that's really important is um just the, the awareness of what vulnerability means and what it is um I've been reading brene Brown's one of her most recent books recently, and she is just such a champion um to, you know, kind of breaking down stereotypes around what vulnerability is, I think that there is this sense, there's a sort of societal sense that vulnerability equals weakness. It equals the, the ability to be taken advantage of. And what her research or, you know, pretty hard scientific research has shown is in fact, the opposite is true. When we're able to be vulnerable, um, there's a there's a strength uh, that happens in terms of building trust in teams. There's a strength that um, that, is really being expressed there that helps people be more functional um humans by being able to um work through the you know the sort of the 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 inner workings of our emotional life um in in group in relationship and it's just been really inspiring to me to kind of like have this alternative view this alternative model like just kind of help the parts of me that believe that vulnerability equals, you know, weakness. That equals I'm going to be, you know, it's I'm going to be. I don't even know what I, I honestly don't even know what the fear is. But <laughs> I, there's all these fears around, like, oh, I can't show that, I can't be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, witnessing other people in my community be vulnerable, and then like reading about and learning about how vulnerability is actually kind of a superpower, <laughs> you know, and just like reprogramming some of the some of the the ways that vulnerability is seen um, and understood in our society is, is hugely valuable.
0: Um, yeah, I can feel if it can be so said, uh, my green ray stirring right now. Thank you both very much. Sincerely. Um, I Arson, I want to turn it over to you in a second, but I want to say that I had, um, uh, an experience with a healer named uh, Lawrence Kemp, and he was working with me. We had a session and he asked, so what would self-acceptance feel like? And I just had this dawning insight that, that it would be paradise. Like whatever happens in the world to me or around me, if I could simply be at peace and love me for who I am, then i can 't imagine how good that would feel on a day to day basis, and what you all are describing is like um, is creating the space that Aaron used the word the field for that precisely to to communicate in very uh, in both words and in beingness that it is okay to be you. And then to let those guards down and express whatever it is that um, you may be thinking or feeling like I'm um, around in LL research settings, like our homecomings or here with Jim and Austin, or when we're with other LL related friends, like I'm at my most comfortable relative to my spectrum of, of authenticity and comfort, but still there's always, there's like unconscious barriers that, that hide me. To some extent um, and w- I' have been in spaces where somehow those barriers are overcome just incrementally just a little bit, and I let out something that is vulnerable that I feel is like a weak aspect of me or something I want to hide or not show for whatever reason, like you said Aaron why. I don't know why I <laughs> have this fear, but w- when I have been in those settings where I'm able to let out just a little bit more of me and it's accepted and it's held and it's, it's okay. That is so profoundly healing. And like uh, Jenna was saying that, that is the work and that's a, the evolutionary, uh, I should be, that's a, the evolutionary trajectory. And I should be uh, asking you guys, do you all see that the what you're describing, do you link that in any way to the f- eventual formation of a social memory complex? Not that it's necessary to do so, but I'm just wondering if you do.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I really do think that um, I might be repeating myself, but just the practice of just the conceiving of like, what is it like for us to become transparent to each other? Right? So, if, I mean, if we, if we take Ra, um, if we take, you know, Ra's teachings as inspiration, which I certainly do. And we realize that we are going, we are moving into a time when there will be transparency. It's like, okay, that, so, so that's an inevitability. So how do we, how do we line up with that? How do we, how do we meet that impulse? How do we join with that impulse now? And, um, I think, um, taking our guards down, taking our, you know, the things that keep us separated from each other down, practicing that in whatever ways we can is, seems very directly connected to becoming transparent.
3: Yeah. And for me, it makes me think of, um, I think it's Mother Teresa quote where, um, She says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And again, it just says to me, like, how we are with each other is more important than what we do with each other. Um, You know, and it starts internally with ourselves and then our families and then our community. And um, yeah, I definitely see it as uh, steps towards building that social memory complex.
0: I've seen how um, what you guys are just is in plays a role in how i've envisioned the uh, unfolding of fourth density in that like this veil comes down and everybody's kind of naked more or less um with one another and i don't uh in that everything that had been seemingly internal is now potentially available to the whole is revealed you are revealed and i think part of the healing is in seeing what you guys are have explicitly described that like you have you other self have some of the same difficulties that I have the same fears the same holdups the same sense of uh, shame or desire or whatever you know the case may be and that commonality is uh, what allows that um, a deepening communion and bond with one another but Austin did you Um, either or both have something you wanted to riff on on this question or way that you wanted to interrogate
1: jenna (laughs) aaron um you know i have a lot of uh things to riff on or things to say but i'm going to opt not to in favor of allowing you to keep the conversation going so we don't go too far over time
0: but uh, no, I'd rather, I'd personally rather hear what you have to say. And if we go long, we could try a part two. This, this is longer than usual, but I. Right, let's check in with Jan and Aaron. You guys doing good?
2: Yep. do great. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. We, we could either have a long episode or make it a part two for the
1: first time, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Awesome. Um, I think I'll just distill it down to one uh, that I was inspired by, and in then talking about how this is a practice and uh The group meets every week, basically, right
3: mm-hmm.
1: and like Aaron was saying, this isn't something that uh you all just you know, explode out and be like, "This is me all vulnerable that <laughs> this was has been a very long and slow practice, and I think that is something that is indicative of the spiritual journey as a whole, anything that we want to accomplish on our spiritual journey um I think takes a lot of patience and slow uh very deliberate uh practice and i think a lot of people when they first get involved in the spiritual journey they just want to like uh blast through and like i'm going to ascend as soon as possible i'm gonna uh, make it next week and um that normally i think comes crashing down at least for me like that sort of attitude came crashing down on me and you know it kind of becomes overwhelming and you sort of learn that this is much more of a a lifelong thing that you are going to be doing this for your entire life but as you continue doing it you do see progress and i think um talking about it as a bit by bit practice something that you um you don't just dive in that you maybe test the water and you get a little more comfortable and a little more comfortable. And that reminds me of um, how Ra talked about the relationship forming with the unconscious mind and talking about it as a courtship. And um, they use pretty antiquated sort of gendered social terms and talking about the unconscious mind in the prostitute versus like a courtship of a maiden or something like that and um but if you remove that sort of social baggage i think that what is happening with your group is this courtship of this shared unconscious personal and shared unconscious with uh you slowly break down these social barriers these things telling you maybe i shouldn't share that and that sort of helps you all to access this a deeper unconscious mind and it just sounds like such a beautiful thing that uh, I'm a little bit jealous of (laughs) and that's all I'm gonna say I've got plenty more thoughts but I'd like to hear more from other people
0: yeah I'd like to hear more from Jan and Aaron if they have more to share on this topic no pressure if not Well, before then, we move on to the next question. Um, I did want to note that there are some cultural peculiarities to the Asheville group as well. Um, Maybe not uniquely so on planet Earth, but uh, statistically perhaps a little bit more unique. And one of those is the way that you guys hold eye contact for uh what can be an extended period of time do you see this was this something that was uh, how how did you fall into this? Was this consciously developed is this was just a habit that naturally manifested and formed
3: my experience of it um i I wasn't part of the Ashville One study group when it was first formed, and so um, that level of um you know sustained eye contact was a bit new for me and my family uh when we first joined the group and um it was something that we found incredibly easy to fall into and um so for me it wasn't so much a um a conscious thing so much as it was a recognition of the beauty of it and how much it um can cultivate connection and um, just how enjoyable it is. So um, I think Aaron probably has a a different answer though.
2: Um, Well, I'm glad it it gives me the opportunity to respond a little bit to what um, Austin was saying um, in his comment last time about this, this sort of, you know, the spiritual practice and the slow and steady. And for me, um, I just, I don't even know, I can't even track all the different experiences I've had, but I've been to some retreats and I've been to some um, kind of like workshops and conferences where there was facilitated eye gazing exercises. And I remember in some of my earlier experiences with that, it was super edgy and it felt really like, you know, it felt really vulnerable. Um, But I I think my first experiences with that might've been like, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. And I just kind of slowly got more and more comfortable with it. And so I think at this point, um, yeah, there's something that feels natural, that feels easy, um, certainly relative to, to my my earlier excursions at um, just holding eye contact. And um, I only half-tracked the answer because I was switching. I had a little technical issue here with my headphones, so I was switching headphones um, so I don't know if I've covered, if I've addressed what you are asking, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there's something uh, about eye contact that I think is really magical and really does facilitate a sense of, um, um, I think you can let someone know that, you know, that they're accepted. You can help someone feel safe. You can help someone, um, you know, be willing to and be able to take their guard down when you can hold a sort of steady, you know, um, gaze and it's it's there's subtlety to it too because i think i've um been in conversation you know i've been in communication with folks who have sort of they hold hold a gaze and there might be uh i don't know what to say like it's there's certainly i would just say there's certainly subtlety to in my experience to how i try to hold eye contact in a way that's supportive rather than um, creepy, let's say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It can be like a a socially assertive thing in our culture, depending on how you do it, or like you, uh, or the alpha, if you can hold your eye contact. Yeah, right. Uh, But Ra does say in the poker analogy, when they're talking about losing your cards Um, they say, however, your only indication of other selves cards is to look into the eyes. And I've always thought that was both uh, metaphorical and literal, because I do think that when you look into the eyes, there's something about, you see like uh, the creator staring back at you and like, in some ways that can be very uncomfortable. And I think once you get more and more comfortable with that, you can, um, learn to be more in a relationship with that other creator
2: yeah when they say you know there's that it's a little bit uh maybe played out or something but it's just that that quote that the eyes are the window to the soul Mm -hmm. it's it's profound i mean there's something very very deep about that and um, i think it's true
0: Yeah, awareness itself is when attempted to be um, artistically conveyed, especially in Alex Gray's artwork, is um, symbolized by the eye itself. Right. That was really beautiful sharing. Thank you both. Um, You, uh, Jen and Aaron, have actually gone into the next question, the final question, but I'll ask it's, Nonetheless, in case there's a more direct reply that uh, anybody wanted to give. And Ben's final question was, how can we align ourselves with these aspects? Uh, with Let me paraphrase that. How can we align ourselves um, with the intention to develop a social memory complex? Um, actually, <laughs> this question was fine as it was. I'm sorry. Let me reread it. <laughs> How can we align ourselves with these aspects with the intention of, quote, sparking unity with others? So my take on that is, um, how can we start walking those steps and living that here on Earth now at this time? And obviously, uh, you guys are, in my opinion, and as you perceive it, too, uh, doing that. But um, Austin, do you have thoughts on answering the how
1: Um, You can move to Asheville and join (laughs) the Law of One study group. (laughs) Um, I think um, this is a, a really good question that I don't have a single answer to because there's so much about third density that is just learning about the self and then being true to the self. And whenever somebody writes in an email looking for certain advice about how to do anything, how to be of service or even how to help um, start a social memory complex. It's so hard to answer specifically because everybody is so unique. Everybody's in such a unique situation and whatever advice or pointers there are to give is not going to be relevant to more than a few people. And so I think that aligning ourselves with these aspects is first and foremost, a personal journey of, Knowing ourselves. And perhaps you could like look back at the things that we've talked about, like the eye contact or being vulnerable and things like that. And if these things have sort of made you feel uncomfortable, or if you imagine them making you feel uncomfortable, then you know, our, we are our greatest resource. You can look inside and try to figure out why these things are uncomfortable. What is it that is making vulnerable a taboo? What is it that's making a prolonged eye contact a taboo? It might be a cultural thing, might be a biological thing, might be something you picked up from your family or anything like that. <clears throat> and, you know, it's the answer to like everything is, um, to look inside and know yourself and become the creator it's um pretty much the extent of my advice beautiful uh aaron what do you think
2: yeah i I really i would love to kind of join with austin's answer i i really resonate with that um strongly i do think the core you know work is you know discovering ourselves really getting in touch with our essence um you know, removing the blockages that that make it harder to see who we are and and what you know what really lies at the center of our experience. And um, I think the more and more we are able to do that and succeed at connecting with our essence, then it puts us in a position to be able to um, identify where there is affinity around that with others. And I think that um, affinity and um, kind of allowing ourselves to be guided by affinity with others is a, there's a, I think there's a clue there about how, you know, sort of sparking unity with others, forming a a social memory complex. I think it has to do with like putting ourselves in proximities with others who vibrated a similar, similar wavelength, whose essence kind of like brings our essence more alive you know, who people who help us to see ourselves and know ourselves and celebrate the true essence of, of what we are and people who, for whom we can do that. And so I think that, you know, the more we're able to really, be in touch with our you know true self let's say or our essence um you know the the better we are able to sort of be guided by or or trust the affinity that we that we might um you know we might find in um in others and and then to really allow ourselves to to be guided by that you know to 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 seek out others with whom we feel vibrational resonance with and um I think that, you know, these units that we can form around affinity, um, I think that kind of, kind of, that's my picture. I feel like, you know, social memory complex doesn't happen all at once in a, in a brilliant flash. It happens, at, you know, I think, you know, individuals will, will group together around, um, you know, love of certain things or, yeah. I don't mean, I, I, I don't, I don't have a perfect definition of what even affinity means, but, you know, it feels good to say vibrational resonance. And I feel like, you know, small groups form and then, you know, groups of small groups may form, and then eventually this sort of coalescence takes place that you know will, over probably a fairly long long arc of time, lead to the formation of a global affinity. And mm-hmm. so, and and that all starts with our capacity to know ourselves. So I really appreciated what um what you had to say about that, Austin.
0: Wow, uh, Jana, what do you think?
3: <laughs> well. I tried Googling how to form a social memory complex. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of good information there. And so uh, <laughs> that's perhaps the humorous way to highlight that I resonate very much with both what Austin and Aaron were saying, that it all starts with knowing oneself um, and looking within um, and, you know, as a, because everybody is so unique and every situation is so unique. Um, and So one thing I wanted to point out too is that, um, you know, I I certainly don't think, obviously I don't think there's going to be any codification of how to do this. And so there could very well be a group somewhere else on earth right now that's, you know, could be perceived as um, building the early stages of a social memory complex. And it could look completely different from what we're doing or how we're doing it. Um, Because I think the more that one knows oneself um, the more we are able to tap into what's alive in the moment and what is wanted in the moment, um, to respond to the uniqueness of each moment. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's my answer.
0: Uh, Jim Austin and I, prior to, starting each podcast do not compare notes about what replies we may have brewing in our mind complexes and we it uh invariably we discover so much harmony and alignment between our perspectives and i see the same thing happening now but um profoundly so like what i had jotted down in reply to ben's this question of events was just such a crude form of what you three have elaborated really well. And um, in terms of this affinity for the other, an affinity for a group or a particular wavelength and so on, the Arab Spring, if you're aware of current events, I don't know, four or five years ago now, uh, spoke to me really powerfully. Um, ultimately, it didn't have its for the most part, as far as I'm aware, didn't have its desired political end. But what really spoke powerfully to me there was that um, you had populations who um, had uh, something of an uprising against oppressive governments. And it seemed to me one of the linchpins that made that possible was social media. Um, You had all these individuals with these Ideas of a better government or at least um, who who uh, wanted to change existing government acting as individuals, and the second that they had this technology between them that allowed them to collectively share these ideas and realize that, hey, we're on the same page, and hey, there's a lot of people who think like me, then these rallies and these protests began to seemingly spontaneously emerge out of that. And the salient point I take from that was that it was simply the the function or uh, the capacity to connect with one another to network that allowed something greater than the individual to emerge. And I see the movement towards fourth density being much the same in terms of simply connecting with others and not having uh, a formula or procedure per se. After that, like Jenna said, what the work that they're doing in Asheville may look very differently somewhere else on the globe, but it is the act of, of connecting and communing that, Allows something greater to something uh, trans subjective, something greater than the individual to emerge. I, I think that the magic is really in the space between people. And um, my crude form of what Austin elaborated so well was the necessity to meditate and listen to oneself, because this this greater intelligence and greater reality. However, it may be conceived, comes by way of deep listening to oneself, I think, and meditation. That which kind of takes one beyond the intellectual mind is is key to that listening, I think. Um, a quick Q and A from the Law of One. Adan is asking Ra. Rather, Don is likening the mind body spirit complex with its seven energy centers to a seven stringed musical instrument. Don says, and he asked that if, like, if like a seven stringed instrument, if the chakras are kind of deflected like a string one at a time to produce harmony by the creator, that's the gist of it. It's 54.16. And Ra says, this is correct. And the balanced individual, the energies lie waiting for the hand of the creator to pluck harmony. So this this movement towards deep listening makes ourselves available, I think, as instruments for the creator to pluck that harmony. And the the social memory complex begins to form in part from that. Um, it is the the creator playing the instruments of the individuals so to speak but uh, we're getting really close to wrapping up i'll have a small closing bit and then austin will officially close us but before i or we do rather do you guys any of the three of you have anything more to add to this question
2: um i was really moved by what you just shared uh gary that was really beautiful and it, to me it just reminds me of the um the opportunity that we have to, um, like, allow it, allow it to unfold. You know, like, we're not in charge. You know, it's not like it's not like we have to do it. Um, it's paradoxical because, of course, there is, you know, there is some responsibility in it, but we—it's not up to us. Like, we can allow ourselves to to be the instruments that the creator will play. Um, and I just, yeah, I've really been for myself. I've really been trying to find that. Um, trust in the mystery of the universe and trust in the unfolding of the universe, and kind of align with it as a co-creator rather than it kind of some of my outdated notions um, that I'm trying to move beyond and mature um, through thinking that I'm the one who's responsible. I'm the one who's doing it, and you know, be be in more of a um, right relationship with the the greater mystery that we actually are a part of.
0: I've been working my neck muscles because there's so much head nodding happening on my end when I listen to you guys, yeah, man, there's something I really wanted to say in reply to you, Aaron um, something about the unfolding, oh yeah, you said like you don't have the answer and I think that's the case for all of us. Like there, like Jana pointed out, Google doesn't have this one listed because there is no roadmap. Like nobody um, knows this sequence, this procedure. That complete step one, then move to step two, then step three, and then bam—like a recipe—you have a social memory complex. But uh, unfolding—that's a really good word that you said, Aaron. The the universe unfolds through us as as we as we surrender and trust and listen. That's right. Are we ready to st-
1: commence closing? Um, I wanted to just point out to listeners, if you find this topic interesting, a recent conscious channeling uh, was all about social memory complexes. Um, so if you go to our archive site and look for October 6th, 2018, um, there's some really good questions and answers about social memory complexes. So just wanted to point to that. Ooh, Thank you.
0: And I wanted to point out, like, uh, we obviously have uh, a certain degree of affection for our two special guests today and um, the work that they and others in their community in the Asheville study group are doing Uh, at the same, while we want to shine a light on that work, we don't want to elevate it as being like the exclusive place that this is happening on planet Earth or as if, um, you know, they have unlocked the formula and, you know, they should be emulated in lockstep. Uh, this work is happening all over the planet, and there's all sorts of um, points of light and communities and people coming together, finding various ways to manifest this same thing, because we're all working towards this. All who have their hearts open, I should say, and are listening to the song of love are doing this work together, Whether, even though most of us are unaware of one another. Eventually, there will be a greater awareness and greater coordination, uh, I think, when When one thinks about the social memory complex, one reaches for words like "utopia," because it can kind of seem that way, but i don't I don't think that is what the social memory complex is um, a Utopia is something that human societies have uh, concocted and attempted with with great and noble but inevitably futile effort in, on this particular planet um, to manifest something of beauty and harmony and cooperation in the veiled conditions of third density. But the social memory complex doesn't seem to require all that striving. It, it seems to be an, um, a knowing of the self, like Austin described, a, a truer experience of the real universe outside of the illusion that we now know i I see the social memory complex as a manifestation of um, divine reality actually one gets into trouble there because it's all a manifestation of divine reality but we uh we at ll research look forward to that inevitable destination with each of you and in the meantime it is such a blessing to give and receive love this way on this planet and we love each of you and uh austin if you'd like to officially close us out
1: You have been listening to LL Research's podcast in the now. If you have enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions and a few special thank yous one of them to ben for sending in these amazing and excellent questions and another one to Jana, and another one to aaron for joining us today and offering their experiences and insights if you'd like to hear us ramble on about any other particular topic please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast new episodes are published to the archive website every other wednesday or so often have a wonderful couple of weeks and we will talk with you next time